The Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more. Turn this up. This is going to be crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm Dave Acosta. Hi, this is Cal Newport, author of Deep Work. G'day, this is Ryan Park. I'm Batman. This is Ivan Davies from my town. I'm Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. And Lucas Speaking D. This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. This is the Mojo Radio Show, where I'll be coming to see you. Then we ask them the big questions. Oh, man, this is such a great question. You've actually landed right on the mark. That's a, another really good question. It's great talking to some clever dudes, frankly. I've gone probably a little bit more in-depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book. I've done, like, 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this. <laughs> oh, wow. And sometimes we talk about darts. There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favourite sport is darts. How athletic is that? I think it's uh, interesting that it's your favourite, but I won't be judgmental. (laughs) Look, it's the only sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest. The Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously. So you try throwing half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go, Uh, my friend. But we hope you will. Welcome. I got my book. To the Mojo Radio Show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, the little program that's all designed to help you get your mojo working in and out of work. We find interesting people that we think have their mojo working in some area of their life, some aspect of their life, and we chat to them, ask their opinions, their tips, their tools, all the things that we can take from them and apply to our own world so we can live a better life. One that we feel, I guess, has our own mojo working. Let's go around the grounds, as they say in footy. Robbo will say, man, do we have enough fuel in the big red bus to get us to the end of the show? Uh, Lola, is there enough coffee in the cupboard? Hmm, just a minute. <laughs> Sassy. <laughs> Good day to you, AP. You all set, mate? Thank you, Bertie. Yes, feeling fighting fit today. Got me mojo going. And, of course, you just heard the dulcet tones of our automated studio assistant, Lola. Lola, I've got one for you. Could you play us a rock track to get us in the mood for today's show, given the fact it's about office and communication and all things to do with business? I'm on it. I think, uh, I think Lola's rock and roll programming needs a bit of a look at. <laughs> Who wrote the code? <laughs> That's all I've got. Who wrote the code? Mm. I'm Anna Devenna. I'm also known as the sleep muse. I help people get a great night's sleep. And often when people are struggling with sleep, I suggest that they listen to the Mojo radio show. And when they do... They fall asleep instantly. I think today's guest is a good one for you, mate. When this guy actually wrote to me saying he was a fan of the show, he'd seen the work we're doing and wanted to come on, and he was an email specialist, I thought you'd be all over this. Yeah, I, uh, I'm very interested in hearing this. Absolutely. Australia's leading email productivity expert. Who, who, who knew there'd be a thing? His name is Stuart Snooks. And he helps people like us, busy professionals and executives, take control of their email so that if we do, we have more time for stuff, 
you know, we've got more mm. energy, more focus to get what matters, the real work done, which is why I'm so interested in hearing what Stuart has to say. Snooksy. Snooksy. <laughs> now, there is no doubt that we're all suffering from email overwhelm. Even in our little studio, we find the same thing day in, day out. And it's affecting the performance and productivity of everybody right across the world. And it's distracting us from what matters. What we're going to talk about in this show is uncovering systems. I want to know about processes and the thinking required to defeat the overwhelm that we all face, which is email. So we have more time, more valuable time to allow us a freedom to do what we want to do, which in some cases could be absolutely nothing, which is a good thing. So without further ado, Stuart, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thank you. Thank you very much. When people ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? I usually say I, I help uh, busy execs and their uh, EAs and their teams to get control of email. Just on that, you talked about busy execs. Is the pace of life and or the digital life for an exec, do you think it's continuing to speed up? Uh, all that I'm hearing would indicate that it is, yes. Mm. Both, uh, both in terms of surveys that I run and you know, anecdotal evidence just talking to, to execs and their EAs. Where are we at with that, Stuart? How would you describe the, 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 the typical life of a busy exec? How would you describe that to somebody? What's that like, do you think, well, for, from what you're seeing? Well, I've got uh, a title for a, a white paper in mind or an article saying, are you working nine to five or two lots of five to nine? So so 5am to 9am, getting your work done, and then 5pm to 9pm, catching up with email and so on, uh, or, or, or both, or both. And so most execs are trying to do their real work outside of work hours, and their work hours tend to be full of interactions and meetings and um, and then they're having to spend a lot of their own personal time playing catch-up with uh, what is largely technology-driven uh information and communications. It's a good premise, mate. It's a nice way to say it. <laughs> it is. That's very good. I think it's a really good way. I think that actually will put on a few alarm bells and, and some turn on some lights for some people. I'm going to – Stuart, you, you specialise in email and in thinking about this interview today, I've been thinking a lot about email in particular. And if you were to we, – so – over the last, what, two years, Robbo, identity's been a bit of, a bit of an underlying theme to our show, right? Yeah, I think so, definitely. If, if we go down the identity line, Stuart, and you gave an identity to email as a being, if email was a movie character, which movie character would email be? Now, not being a great movie watcher, I will struggle with this, but it would be that sort of character who is constantly on your case. You think you've got him covered and he gets back at you another way. I think, you know, there must be some sort of animated character that's like that. <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, in fact, I'm thinking about um, uh, Monsters, Monsters Inc., the animated one, where uh, the sleazy fella is able to make himself invisible. Mm. And so he, 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 you try to punch him and he disappears and he comes around and gets you another way, something like that. What impact is this sleazy character having on us? This, so this email world we live in right now, Stuart, what impact are you seeing? What's it doing to executives, to their well-being and or their productivity? Yes, significant impacts uh, on both of those. I've written a white paper and it's a little bit aged now on the critical impacts that it's having. Uh, a lot of email is allowed to arrive as an interruption. Uh, it then causes us to lose focus. We start to multitask. We uh, 
our decision-making uh, abilities are impaired, it now starts to have an impact on a wide range of organisational functions, uh, mental health and wellbeing, work-life balance. And what I'm seeing more and more these days is the research is showing it's impairing leadership capability because execs are so busy during the day uh, that when they do get some free time, they tend to want to knock over some emails just to feel like they're making some progress rather than actually attending to uh, activities that would uh, be using their leadership capabilities. Do you know what's interesting about that? And I was considering this this morning when I was making a cup of coffee before the interview. Is, is email almost a way for us to feed our ego? Is that if I've got emails to attend to, it means somebody needs me. It means somebody wants something from me. It means I'm important. It means I'm in the game. Because if you're not getting emails, I suspect some people would start to think I'm no longer relevant. This ego and or uh, feeling of importance, is that one of the mind chips we've got to think about in terms of dealing with email? Yes, it's certainly there. I, I don't detect that it's a large issue. Um, but certainly there's a sense as humans, we want to be available, we want to be helpful, we want to be liked, we want to know what's going on. And, and maybe FOMO is the major component in that aspect of our behaviour. Um, I'm working with a number of EA uh, groups this year, and I'm surprised at how few of them have been given full control of their executive's email. It, it's It's a a low percentage are execs still want to hang on to their email. They still want to know everything that's going on. And as I say to them, if you read the email and your EA reads the email, one of you's wasted your time. Mm. So, um, but execs seem to be reluctant to release control, or they're reasonably willing, but just haven't invested the time to develop that relationship because it does take a bit of time and and building up trust to get someone else to handle all of your uh, communications. It's an interesting point, though, because I saw a story recently about law firms, and the story was about law firms traditionally a partner would have an EA, and the EA would handle a lot of this work. Now, because of the prevalence of mobiles and iPads and so on, now the lawyer is doing a lot more of their own typing and checking emails and making EAs redundant. And the, the firm board is saying, you don't need an EA because now you can do it yourself. Is that something you're, you're witnessing as well in a broader spectrum, not just the law field, Stuart? Yeah, very much so. They used to be called secretaries and, and they've sort of been outmoded because uh, in, in a lot of ways, email has bypassed them. As I say to execs, there are people getting access to you that don't have your phone number, wouldn't know which door to knock on, but they can get you via email. And, and this is what's happened over the years is think of a pyramid. At the top of the pyramid, uh, and the pyramid represents the amount of information in an organisation. The top of the pyramid where senior levels live, the, the amount of information was only minimal as much as they needed to make decisions and move the organisation forward. But that pyramid's been turned on its head now and the higher the level you are, the more you're drowning in information and communication overload. And email's the mechanism that's made that possible. Uh, and in fact, it's more important now to have a secretary or a VA to filter that than it ever has been. Uh, because execs are spending two, three, four, five hundred dollar an hour time doing twenty, thirty, forty dollar hour activity. That's gold. Right there, that's gold. Now, if you if you have somebody who has there's probably two parts of this, Stuart. You've got somebody who has call them a secretary, PA, EA, or someone who helps them. You're suggesting 
as a tool that that person should be receiving your emails and filtering them is the first part. The second part to my query is that if I am a person who doesn't have the ability or the resources to have that resource, should I then think about outsourcing that to a virtual EA? Yeah, great questions. Um, so the first question is, is I agree with that. Uh, executives, time, attention, focus uh, needs to be on higher order thinking and uh, tasks. A- an email, a lot of email, the first thing that should be done is the filtering, the shifting and sorting, and that can be done by an assistant, preferably a human one rather than uh, an app. Mm. Uh, mm. because apps just follow algorithms based on your past decisions. The problem is for most of us, the way we've done email, our past decisions uh, uh, have been poor. Um, and then secondly, uh, yes, there is actually a service uh, in America that provides a VA specifically for email, and it's something I'm looking to develop here uh, in Australia so that if you oh, don't really? have access to, to one, you can employ uh, a VA. Um, a good colleague of mine in Brisbane has been doing this for most of the last year and I asked him in November, listen, it's been six months since I caught up with you. What difference has it made having uh, a, a virtual VA just for your email? And he said, it gives me uh, back two hours a day. Wow. And the two hours that it gives him back is the two hours in the evening that he wants to spend with his two young kids. So, And what price can you have- put on that? Well, that's it. I think this is gold. We so say somebody hears that point and goes, "I am a sole operator, or I only have five people in my company." However, I feel as though I'm being bogged down with emails. I want that two hours, Stuart. How do you go about finding? a VA virtual assistant? What do I do? Where do I go? Are they readily available? No, they're not. And and it's a service that I see a great opportunity to to provide. As probably Australia's, if not one of the world's leading experts in this area, I'm in a great position to train up a a team of of VAs who specialise in handling email and then hire them out, if you like, uh, or to come along and train up a, a specific VA for... Um, an exec or a business owner who wants a particular person to be trained or train up the exec themselves. I mean, if the individual has uh, enough skills, um, we can show them how to uh, be very effective in themselves. But I would say that's second best. I mean, what's the point of doing something really well if you shouldn't be doing it at all? Because I I saw you state some stats on one of your blogs, Stuart, and you said that 80% of emails are not relevant. That certainly has to be a good argument to say that someone who is chasing success in a small business right through to a senior executive, if 80% of the stuff coming to the inbox is not relevant, that must be the case to say, get someone else to do it. I would have thought so. And when we say not relevant, we say it's, it's not relevant to your role or it doesn't require you personally as the only person who's able to handle it. Uh, 80% of email is either irrelevant or can be handled by somebody um, at, a, at a lower level than you. So only 20% of it is, is the sort of um, email that you as the individual have to handle, either answer or make a decision on. Um, there's a lot of noise at senior levels because everyone wants a piece of a decision maker, um, but there's not enough signal. Uh, what's that mean? What, what's noise versus signal? What's that mean? Well, noise is just it's just there's just a lot of conversations. People are trying to send you stuff, tell you stuff, make you aware of stuff, uh, but only a small percentage of that is is really relevant 
or, or critical to the role that you're in and where you're trying to move the uh, organisation. Somebody hears you speak and goes, I want to do an audit on my emails. I feel like I'm getting swamped. I want to do something about it. What's the biggest mental shift we have to take, Stuart, in looking at or thinking about our email inbox? Yeah, great question. And I've come up with a model on this. And you think of a Venn diagram, so three overlapping circles. In, in any organisation, we've got our personnel, the people we've got in, in one of those. You've got processes. And in the third one, we've got tools and technology apps and, and to give another P, platform. So people, process, platform. And where you've got people and platforms, tools and technology, and we've got more of that, uh, people get overloaded. There's just so much information and communication possible these days. We're going to get overloaded. It's just a fact of life if we don't have a good process for it. We've got good people and good process, but mm. the tools are out of date. It slows us down. We've mm. got good processes, good tools, but people haven't been trained in the process or how to use the tool. Now we've got unfulfilled potential in the people and a wasted resource that we've paid for. So what's been missing in the business world is the process for email. Any organisation, uh, you have 5,500, 5,000 people, but there'll be one or two processes for applying for leave or raising a purchase order or paying an invoice. But when it comes to email, you've got 500 people, there'll be 500 different processes. It's a part of the business world that just has escaped being standardised and systematised like so many other parts of the business. Uh, that's why we have this uh, why we have this issue. And so that's the first place to start is do an audit. Where are we at now? Where are the pain points? Uh, and then what is the best practice process for dealing with them, both on a, uh, a, an issue by issue or a holistic point of view? If I went to your email setup, how do you how do you manage the process? Of emails, what would I see if I went and did an audit on how Stuart deals with email? What would I see? Yeah, I summarise it under three key strategies, uh, which I call the WWW, just to say with the internet email thing. We need to get control of when we're attending to this part of our workload. It tends to be very unstructured. People allow it as an interruption, or they just treat it ad hoc. Um, and so we're only attending to these very important conversations with partial attention. We're not giving it full attention by actually scheduling the time. Um, once you do that, it allows you to turn off the alert, so it eliminates it as an interruption. Uh, and because you're playing the game a different way, you may have to manage expectations with colleagues and, and clients. The second W is what you do when you get in front of the inbox, and there's a pretty well-researched um, process for uh, dealing with email. It's called the 4D, so we make one of four decisions. Uh, and that's why the when's so important, because decision-making involves thinking, and thinking involves a bit of time. Uh, and when we don't give it the time, our decision-making isn't nearly as good as it could be. Uh, and all the great time management gurus talked about 4Ds of some sort, some five, but most of them four. Uh, and the first of the decisions we need to make is, I need, you know, this email can be deleted. Uh, the second one is I can deal with it uh, straight away. And the rule of thumb here is if you can take the next action in two minutes or less, it's quicker to do it now than the time it takes to store it, keep track of it, retrieve it, read it, think about it, and do it later. And a surprising amount, like 34% of my email, I can do with, I do do with two minutes or less because I dedicate time to it. The third one is delegate. You pass it on to someone else as, as the next action. And the fourth one's decide. Now, some of the time management guys say defer. But when you think about it, deferring means not deciding. And, and so I prefer to say decide. Three possible decisions on this. One is 
uh, where am I going to store it? I can't delete this one. I do have to keep it. So where are you going to store it? Uh, and this has become a big issue these days because of the volume. So many are saying the filing decision is too hard or takes too long, so I'll just leave it in the inbox. So now you've got great congestion in the inbox. You've got a mix of finished and unfinished business in there. And a lot of people justify that. And it's actually a pretty good idea. Keeping all of your email in one folder is actually a very good idea. It's just that it shouldn't be the inbox. Mm. Um we're often unaware of the psychological drag that it has having a mix of finished and unfinished in the one place. So under decide, the first one was where do you store it? The second one is what are you going to do with it? Oh, sorry, where are you going to take action on it? We are getting more and more workload coming in via the email channel than ever before and we need to get it out of the inbox and I get people to convert it to a calendar item. I can put it in tasks, but sooner or later you're going to have to decide when, so you might as well put it straight in the calendar. And when you do that, that's the master skill that I show people because you now manage the workload uh, aspects of it, when you're going to do it, and uh, there's a whole range of tools you can use in your software to capture the thinking that you're doing so that when you come back to it, you're able to get straight on with it. And the last thing you might have to do is wait. Sometimes you can't move on an email because you're waiting for somebody or something else. I recommend adding a reminder to it and popping it in its own dedicated waiting form uh, and, until that next step and not have to rely on your, your memory or tripping up uh, against it in the uh, in the inbox. So that's the, the what. But the where is simply uh, making good decisions about where to quickly file and retrieve email. These days, uh, the best way to go about that is use a single folder and use the power of um, search. Uh, it's proven that using a, a complex file structure just takes too long and, yeah. and uh and is a lot less effective than search given the power of search these days. Do you know, it's funny, I've, it, it just, it's almost strategizing your emails. I mean, I, I love, I love the way you've laid that out with the three W's and four D's, but it's almost the same way. It's funny because people talk about building a ritual for their morning or a wind down routine at night or how I'm going to do that. I've never heard anybody basically lay out a strategy for handling their email inbox. And I think that is so powerful when it's such an intrusive part, essential, but intrusive part of our world. I think it's great. Yes. Yeah, that 4D is really powerful. And as I say to people I work with, once you practice 4D on a regular basis, you start to notice patterns or trends, and then you can begin to automate and speed up um, that processing um, you can begin to filter things out. You can begin to use rules. You can, you, there's a whole range of things. Uh, and and speed up in the sense that we can think and speak a lot quicker than we can type, but so much of our work now is done via typing. And so I show people um, seven ways to speed up email and processing. Once you've typed something once and you know you're going to use it again, capture it so that you can bring it back with just one or two clicks or keystrokes. Um if you're interested, I'll give you a couple of examples. But, but that's one of the keys is, is the 4D is the foundation. And once you're doing that regularly, you have a good process in place, then you can turbocharge it. Robert, this is a topic which is very dear to your heart. I mean, you and I have talked about this in the studio a lot. 
This is this making sense to you in terms of how you would deal with your stuff? Yeah, I um, I, it's actually I was saying to Gary before we jumped on the phone with Stuart that this is something that I've only in the last couple of weeks I've actually started to try to really work hard on. Um, and and you mentioned something in there which for me has become a bit of a tr- a struggle. You mentioned um, uh, managing expectations around your emails, and. So where I'm at is I've turned off my notifications because when I was working on my computer here on my audio editing software, Gmail notifications would come up and, and you're exactly right. I would, even if I didn't need to look at it, I would stop and I'd go and read it. So I've turned all that off. But the thing I find in I now is there is the occasional email where a client sends me a script or a voiceover artist sends me a voiceover artist and they want an acknowledgement that I have received that because they want to know that their job's done and they can move on. So I guess my question comes to, in terms of managing that, what sort of what sort of management plans can I put in place? Would it be autoresponders? Is there something else um, to help me manage that? Sure. Uh, two things. One is a, a generic all-the-time uh, strategy and the other one is a case-by-case strategy. I talk to people about um, send off a, an email as a one-off announcement that you've changed the way that you're handling email and you're not going to be as reactive as you have been. And and I get people to add a little PS to their signature block, uh, something like PS, hey, I'm not always at my desk. I do check email regularly. You might even mention how often or what times of the day. If your matter's time-sensitive or urgent, uh, this is a more appropriate way and you give them a mobile number or a page number or your receptionist number or your enemy somewhere, whatever. You, you let them know that if it's time sensitive, don't expect it to, to email to do the trick. Here's a more appropriate tool. So that's a, a general thing. And the reason that we put it as a PS is it's the last thing people read when they finish your email. So it lodges at a subconscious level. And they go, oh, Gary, I used to get responses from Mr. Oh, no, that's right. No, I'm happy to wait. He gets back to me just before lunch or, or whatever. No, no, that's right. I can't wait. I'll, I'll pick up the phone or, uh, or do something um, to escalate the issue. On uh, an individual uh, issue, and, and I found that this is a really powerful one, is in my surveys that I've run for 13 years now, uh, the number one bug that people talk about is getting no response to my email when it clearly requires a response or I don't get it quickly enough. I I used to think that was minutes and seconds, and it's not. What I've worked out is when you and I are talking either face-to-face or on the phone, there's an interaction, uh, and you know you've been heard and you're validated, even if it's an argument. But when you start the conversation and send an email, you're going, uh, 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 uh." you you, you don't get that feedback loop, and that's a really frustrating way for us uh, to communicate. Uh, it happens to some extent with text as well, but text usually gets a, a quicker reply. But with email, our frustration is that we're not getting a response. So what I show people is you can set up uh, in Outlook, for example, a quick step. It's just a one-click button that sends back an email that says, got it, thanks. So you get an acknowledgement that you have been heard, and then I uh, don't have the pressure of feeling someone's going to ring me in three minutes and go, did you get my email? You don't want to overuse it but it's really good for some of the examples that you just gave. One thing as a tool I heard you mention, Stuart, which I thought was interesting. So we had a guy called Ryan Munsey who does the Better Human Project podcast, super successful um, show out of America. And when he was on the show, he told us about the Pomodoro technique. Now, he talked about the Pomodoro for performance, productivity, but mostly about creative writing or doing deep work, deep thinking. Yet you've talked about the Pomodoro technique, which can relate to handling email effectively. Can you run through 
in that sense of email, what is Pomodoro and how would you use it effectively? Sure. It, it's, a, it's a great concept. The Pomodoro um, technique, the theory is that you single task something for 25 minutes with a timer. Uh, you stay focused. Don't get interrupted. Don't get distracted. And then have a five-minute break and then another 25 minutes. You do three of those and, uh, and then have a major break. And why can't one of those 25 minutes be processing your email? So you just single task email with a timer. So when we're looking at the inbox, really, the whole point of being in the inbox is not to do work. It's simply to make decisions. The inbox is not a storage area. It's not a to-do list. It's not a work area. It's simply a decision-making environment. So why don't we dedicate time to give it full attention and make those decisions? And I reckon if you spend a full 25 minutes, you probably only need to do the 25 minutes once a day. And the other times you check email might be only five or 10 minutes just to to, um, to catch up because most of our email tends to be in the morning, comes in overnight or early on, and that's the important one. There's something about working when the clock is ticking that makes our brain kick into gear. As I say in my workshops, if you've got all day to get something done, how long does it take? Yeah. If, if you've got half a day to get something done, how long does it take? If you've got to get this done in the next hour, how long does it take? There's something about a timer that makes the brain stop fluffing around and focus. So it's a powerful technique for email because the inbox is simply for making decisions. And when you know you're on a time limit, you'll tend to get off your tail and make that decision instead of procrastinating or flicking to the next one and, and not making a decision. Does that, that sort of answer your question? It does. And it leads me on to my next thought is that with 13 years of research into email, you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of leadership and the best leaders and how they manage their email. And you've said the best leaders check their email the least. Tell me if you were visualizing a great leader who was dealing with an extraordinary amount of email, talk to me about how that person checks their email the least, which makes them the most productive? Uh, firstly, they I expect that they would have someone doing the filtering for them, um, either a, a human or, or they've developed um, some technology tools to m- minimise the amount that they actually have to give their full attention to. When they are attending to email, they do it in a, a single-tasking block of time, uh, usually with some sort of time limit. They, they they don't let it just carry on for half an hour, 45, and, you know, they give themselves a limit and, and they get to it as quickly as they can. Uh, and they are able to respond very quickly. Uh, and when they reply or send you email, they're actually sending very effective communication messages as well. The way that we're able to structure email makes a big difference to the quality and the quantity of what comes back in. But as much as anything else, they only use email when email is the appropriate tool. Uh, a lot of people use email for everything. It's like the Swiss Army knife. And it does some things well, and there's a lot of things email doesn't do well. And a, a wise leader is smart enough to not push uh, inappropriate things through the email channel. Another line you used, which I thought was good, you said, if you send less, you receive less. That seems to be a great leadership lesson. Just explain the, the philosophy behind that. Yes, it's it's pretty obvious. If you if you send an email, uh, someone's going to reply to that, and if you send an email to multiple people, they're probably all going to reply to that. And so it's like the snowball. It just it just takes a life of its own. Um, so you want to use email when email is the best tool for the job. Use other tools if if uh, if it's not. Um, the problem with a, an email. Uh, as a sender is you 
your email is going to arrive in an inbox and there's at least 20 or 30 other people trying to get that receiver's attention. But if you're on the phone or a text or a face-to-face conversation, it's pretty much one-on-one. You're, you're going to get full attention, much more likely to achieve your result. I, I suspect if you sit on a plane, you see the person next to you and they've got no connectivity on Australia, you've got no connectivity in the air, but you see these people just pumping out emails. And as soon as they land, they get connectivity, they just bang out these emails. And you said that to send less, then you receive less. But to me, it just sounds like a really good leadership philosophy to, to consider before you're sending an email, because if you send it, likely you're going to get one back again. And then we complain because we're overloaded with emails. I just haven't heard anybody talk about that of the psychology of thinking, actually, do you have to or not? Because if you pump this out, it's going to come back to you. Yes. Yes, I, I talk about that in my second program. My main program is around managing income and in the other programs around managing outgoing. And the first of seven ways to write more effective email is to think first. Is email, in fact, the appropriate tool to use? Um, and you give thought to uh, the degree of complexity, uh, the potential to be misunderstood, uh, the degree of impact that you're going to have with a written word versus a spoken word versus being in person and having the fullness of your influence and character come across in a face-to-face conversation. And many times when you give it a bit more thought, you go, actually, you know, email's not good for this, it's not good for that. You know, I should be using a range of other tools and not relying on uh, email. When we get an email in, we tend to respond by email. When we get a text message, we tend to respond by text. And what we forget to do is to switch the channel to suit the, the, uh, the, the message. You raise an interesting point though, Gary, because you and I had an issue a couple of weeks ago with someone we work with together um, who misinterpreted an email that I sent. Um, the, and, it, and it taught me a lesson that, that the, the wording you actually write can even be misinterpreted completely if you're not careful. So I guess that probably goes to what you're saying, right? Exactly. If we need to think about the environment in which our message is going to be received. When we send an email, someone's going to get it probably as an interruption. At best, they're looking at it ad hoc. They won't be looking at it in a settled, uh, focused frame of mind. And our message is going to be one of many others that are there as well. And they're going to be distracted, partial attention. Um, So is that the sort of environment you want your message to arrive in? Obviously, any degree of complexity or nuance is going to uh, stand a very big chance of being misunderstood. You've talked about the environment. The other thing that you speak about, Stuart, is timing. You call it timing of our delivery. Now, you said earlier in the interview that generally we get a lot more emails in the morning because of people sending it from overseas or whatever during the night and so on. When we are considering our email going out, what you talk about delaying delivery. What's your advice for people when they consider, is it the right medium? Have I got the right message? Now I'm going to think about my timing. What's your advice? Yeah, great, great point. Um, we need to time when our messages arrive. And in fact, this is one of four things that came up in recent research for the Kingston School in, in England. Um, they talked about using uh, delay send when sending email out of hours so that uh, if you're working at 11 o'clock at night, you, you don't send it at 11 o'clock at night, you hold on to it to the next morning. But I disagree with that. I think there's a lot more power in using delay delivery rather than delay send. Send whenever it suits you. If you're toasting up on coffee or you're on the plane or whatever, do the sending, but hold on to it uh, in your outbox uh, and then have it delivered at the appropriate time. And we're not just talking about out of hours. 
there are times of the day and times of the week where which are more appropriate and more likely to give you the outcome you want for your message. Now, for example, I'm often talking to clients early in midweek and then writing proposals and sending them some quite detailed information, and I won't send it on a Thursday or a Friday because people are in shutdown mode. They're trying to clear the decks. They're trying to get rid of stuff. I'll time it so it arrives early in the week when they're thinking more expansively and they're looking ahead. Uh, even times of the day, I'll try and avoid the early morning uh, uh, rush because everyone's in purge mentality to try to get rid of email. But by, by late morning, when they've got uh, the day up and running, they're much more likely to be open to my message. So there's, there's a great deal of science um, in getting your timing right for day, time of the day and day of the week. Is email marketing different to normal email or does that work for both? I think there's an overlap. I don't get involved in in email marketing because I'm a lousy salesperson, but (laughs) there are principles. uh, There are principles that overlap around uh, word choice, subject lines, uh, timing. um, How how do you get attention and get responses? We're all after that, whether you're a marketer or just somebody using email in your everyday role. Somebody listening wants to become a master of the craft of email, then they would what? Finish that sentence for me. Uh, get some best practice uh, training and advice. So go and see one of your workshops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm not the only one. There's all, there's all <laughs> sorts of good information available uh, on, you know, between YouTube and uh, Google. You can find information on almost anything. However, um, it's like dots on a paper. There's lots of dots. The information and knowledge is cheap. But what is expensive is the wisdom to know how to draw the dots together. Uh, and I think that's, that's, that's what the, I can that's bring the focus, to the table. isn't it? That's the interesting thing, though, Stuart, where working with people like yourself with these sorts of shows people listen to or YouTube is knowing to master their craft. So rather than just use email, how do I use that to be the most productive, improve my performance, have it as a tool I can use to achieve the things I want to achieve? But I just feel a lot of people, all of us, just use it because it's there and we sit in doing the same thing day in, day out, and then expect a different result, which is insanity. Yes. So I think yes. you're quite right. Is that focusing on, well, how do I actually strategize how I'll make this thing work? Exactly. It's a strategy that's needed. Uh, there's no point using something really well if, in fact, it shouldn't have been used at all. Uh, a lot of people use flags, for example, in categories, and, and they'll, they'll do read and unread. There's all sorts of techniques that people try to use. Uh to help them be more effective, but they haven't sat back and looked at the bigger picture strategy. People will often ask me questions, oh, Stuart, how do I do that? And they go, well, why do you want to do that? It's only going to get, lead you there, up a cul-de-sac. Why don't you come back a step or two and think about what are you actually trying to achieve? And and maybe there's a better way uh, around that. Uh, for example, I, I had a client um, earlier this week asking, Stuart, I send out uh, email, uh, sorry, calendar invites on behalf of one of my managers, but I don't need to get the the um, uh, the acceptances and declines. And I've tried to set it up as a rule and it doesn't work. Uh, and so I, I, did, I didn't have an answer to that question. I had to do the research myself, but I knew where to go to do the research. It's in fact nothing to do with setting up rules. It's in a completely different area under account settings and permissions. Um, so uh, often we, we look at the surface problem and don't come back a step and see the bigger picture issue and, and try and cure the issue. We just put band-aids on it. Do some of us use our inbox as a to-do list, like it's a work-in-progress list? 
do some. Yeah, is that is that a common problem you see where people use their inbox as a things I have to attend to or almost a to-do list? Is that a common yes. issue you see? Yeah, very much so uh, because they don't know any other way. Uh, if you're not using it as a to-do list, where are you keeping track of these things? You, you're converting them to a manual to-do list or um, a lot of people might use tasks and, and that becomes just as much of a problem because that's a quite complex um, tool that's available to us. Um, and, and again, if people haven't learned how to use the tool, they, they just get lost in it. Uh, so yes, a lot of people using the inbox as a to-do list. And as I say, it's not a to-do list. It's where to-dos arrive. And then we make good decisions about them, uh, the 4D decisions, and we filter out that small percentage that need, uh, that are actually work or tasks, and get them into a calendar environment and try and work in a calendar environment. I'm a big one on trying to get people to shift from being inbox-based to calendar-based. So as I say, um, I've written an article, seven reasons to live in the calendar and only visit the mailbox occasionally instead of the other way around. Most people live in the inbox and just visit the calendar occasionally. And the inbox is a terrible master. The calendar is where in one central location you can integrate all of your different work. Some of it's email related, a lot of it isn't. Uh, and it's very visual. Um, one line in your inbox represents two seconds of your attention, another one two minutes, another one two hours, but you can't see it. Really hard to control what you can't see. But when you get that time commitment into the calendar, now you can be much more realistic about the decisions you make and how you juggle and integrate workload. You're obviously seeing a lot of people who are working with email. You are a student of email, the strategies of email. What's the one thing you've implemented in recent times yourself that's had an impact on how you use and manage email, Stuart? Yeah, the one that that, that has been good for me and gets clients I talk to really excited, particularly EAs, is adding an extra column into your inbox uh, so you can type in uh, some remarks or, or a next action. Uh, so you can very quickly capture the results of your thinking and decision-making in, in a column. And it's great for EAs working with execs and it's great for those who are in a shared mailbox. And if you've got three or four or five people sharing a mailbox, nobody knows who's done what and what's got to happen next. They might use flags or categories, but that's open to interpretation. But if you're actually able to type in the exact words of what has happened or what needs to happen with this email into a column that everyone can see, it really clears up the, the, um, the confusion. How do you do uh, that? And, Ah, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's cool. I've never, I've never yeah. ever heard anybody mention that ever. That's great. I guess Gary will be kind of signing up for your course, Stuart. <laughs> and, and that's why it's a breakthrough. Um, and in fact, what you could do is, and I got the idea to tell you the truth. I got the idea from um, Michael Hoffman, who's the CEO of Atrendia. He's an American based in Barcelona, and he has developed a process and an app called Lean Mail using Lean as Six Sigma principles. Uh, so you would add a, a next action column, but also a when column. When am I going to take this next action? And then you can filter your inbox. So uh, different views. So the first thing you do is go through your inbox very quickly, make 4D decisions. Uh, for those that need it, capture next actions and a date. And then you would go to your today view. So you're only seeing those emails you need to look at today in order of priority, and you've already made a note of what the action's going to be. Uh, and that's just what I'm trying to teach EAs to do so that they can present that to their executives. So instead of executives seeing 100 emails and having to do that manually, the EA's done that, filtered them down to the, the 12 to 15 that really matter, identified the next action, 
uh, and when it needs to be done. So when the exec goes to its inbox, all he sees is today's emails uh, in order of priority and he already knows what needs to happen next. So do you have to have a special app to put – I've never heard anybody talk about putting an extra column into your emails. Is that something that is just – in formats for every email setup, or do you need this special app to enable you to then go? No. Or do you, do you have to use someone else's platform. No, no, no special app needed. It's just a, a new column that you add uh, under user-defined fields uh, in in Outlook. I'm not uh, a Google uh, Gmail user, so I'm, I'm not familiar with what you could do there. But most of my clients are on Outlook. The vast majority in the business world are Outlook-based. A lot of uh, smaller enterprises, private enterprises. Uh, are on Gmail, and I do have some tips for them, but I haven't come up with one around that particular uh, strategy. So, no, it's, it's something you can do in Outlook. And like most things, uh, there's an enormous power that's in that Outlook program that people don't know about, let alone use, and that's just one of them. Something we were talking about before we started recording was the Mac PC thing, because some things you can do on Outlook on PC you can't do on Mac. Yes. Does that mean I've got to go to PC if I want that function? Well, if I really want that functionality, I have to go to PC, right? Well, I'm sure there's workarounds. I would ask the question, uh, what am I actually trying to achieve? In bigger picture, what am I actually trying to achieve? Um, and can I do it using my existing tool? And, or, and if that's limiting, do I, you know, do I need to change tool? Um, but adding a remarks column or a next action column just for the sake of it is is. It's not too clever. We need to work out well, why am I using what? What am I trying to achieve with it? Mm. Uh, and you may be able to do that in a, in another way on a different tool. Mate, this has been a fascinating discussion. I think there's a lot of value because this is. I've just finished reading Cal Newport's new book on digital minimalism, yes. and he talks about the intrusion that the digital world is having on our not just our work life but our life in general. So I think this the stuff you've shared is just gold for people to get on top of one of the most intrusive things, which is email in our world. So um, this is great, mate. You've mentioned a lot of things. You talked about your writing. You talked about the sessions you do with individuals and companies. Where, where's the hub for you? Where does where do people find out more about Stuart? Uh, LinkedIn is probably as, as good a place to touch base as any. And, of course, my uh, website uh, tries to let people know the range of ways that they can access their expertise. We should probably Excellent. spell your name too if someone wants to find you on LinkedIn because that threw me as well. <laughs> yeah, stuartsnooks.com uh, or stuartsnooks.com.au and the Stuart is spelled three different ways. So you can misspell it and it still get through. I've, I've registered the domains for S-T-E-U-A-R-T, which is mine, also S-T-E-U-A-R-T and S-T-E-W. So whichever way you mangle the Stuart part, it should should direct you to the website. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm go. not so sure that LinkedIn will do the same thing. No, uh, There aren't too won't. many snooks on LinkedIn either. No. Let me ask you one, just one final question, um, Stuart. You're, a lot of the photos of you presenting video clips and or your own personal website and stuff have a photo of you wearing a hat. <laughs> Has yes. that hat on Stuart Snooks become part of your identity. Are you using that as a branding tool? Uh, yes, I am. So the first thing I do when I speak at conferences or workshops is just explain to people the spelling of my name because I don't want them, uh, part of their brain going, what's that about? Is that wrong? Is he? You know, for the whole session. So I say, <laughs> I explain where the spelling came from and then I say the hat. Uh, and the reason for the hat is I played a lot of cricket and the skin on the top of my head's not in great condition. So I need to protect my solar panel uh, in the summer and uh, I need to keep it warm in the winter. 
so I wear a hat and it's become a point of distinction. I, I remember I did a conference on the Gold Coast and six months later I spoke to one of the attendees who wanted me to come up and, and work with her team in, uh, as an in-house and I said, great, you know, what do you most remember about my presentation? And she said, the hat. And that was both sort of devastating and illuminating at the same time. So when we looked to do a rebranding a couple of years ago, I thought, well, you know, what have I, what can we use? Oh, why don't we use the hat? It's a point of difference. You look back at old films of the 50s and 60s, everyone wore hats, but these yeah. days it's very rare. So, um, yes, it, it, it is used for branding as a, as a point of distinction and remembrance. And between the hat and the, and the spelling of the name, I think I probably stand out a little bit. Well, we... We enjoyed having the conversation. Thank you for emailing us to to, to share. At you. I think what is just a great strategy for a, a challenge that we all face. And the reason I was so keen to chat to you is because Robbo and I have spoken about this at, at great length over the last number of years, particularly for him in the studio dealing with international emails, the weight of it, and him wanting to improve his own system for handling the business. So I think this has been um, this has been really great. So thank you, mate. It's been a pleasure. It's been great fun as well. Thanks, Chips. Ladies and gentlemen. If you are just tuning in, we are going to kick ass. Supreme. The Mojo Radio Show. Don't ask me what I thought about that interview. <laughs> Email me. Yeah, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the emails we're going to get from AP? Oh, no, it's just started. Can I email the show in this week? I'm busy. Hey, guys, can I get a pay rise? <laughs> hey, guys, can I get paid? Hey, hey guys, what's Lola's phone number? <laughs> hey, guys, is she hot? <laughs> Please attach photos. Uh, anyway. Uh, It'll never end. Folks, just before we close the show, all we ask is take 60 seconds, give us a review. Now, we have been on the What's Hot list on iTunes a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, which has been awesome for us. And i got to tell you, here in the studio, it gets our mojo working. It means a lot. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I had a, a note last week, Rob, this is quite interesting, and we don't – the difference between, I guess, a lot of mediums, particularly like commercial radio and podcasts, is that you can go back through the back catalogue and also you can listen at your whim offline – I got a note from a guy called Paul, uh, who is a new listener to the show, first time writer, long time listener, and he listens in the tractor. Oh, cool. So he gets the tractor, which goes around and around and around, is putting crops in, and he just flicks on a podcast, loves our show. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because he wrote to me, and they start replaying back to you all the stuff they took from it, which is a really valuable thing because if you want to learn something, you tell somebody else about it. So, um, if you could take 60 seconds, which is all it takes, go to iTunes, go to the ratings and reviews, drop us a one-liner, throw us a bone, and uh, that's basically your fee for us putting the time into putting this little show together because we have no sponsors, no advertisers, sadly. Hello to Dosecki and Tim Tams. Uh, <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> Leave us a review, folks. That'd be good. The Mojo Radio Show. Simmer down, you noisy, screaming thing. All right, now, to take us out, this could be a stretch. Now, I'm going to <laughs> set go. this up with a shtick. Yes. And I want you to tell me what the playout song is. Okay. So I think it's fair to say if you're going to do what Schnooksy talked about, it's going to take a certain amount of discipline. And you need to fight the laws that everyone else plays by. It's the people who live by their email, people who check it as soon as they see a notification or, as soon, you know, the guy that as soon as the wheels hit the ground on a flight, they go to their email mm. 
or the people who CC everyone on everything just to cover their butts. They're, they're addicted to their emails. They check it at dinner, at the movies, at the kids' netball game. As soon as I open their eyes in the morning, last thing at night, what we need to do is fight the laws of business and win. Like, don't let the machine beat you. Don't, don't let the resistance win. What I think we need to do to take advantage of all the stuff that Schnooksy talked about is build your own laws and fight the laws of the digital world and become the new law. Mm-hmm. You are the law. I fought the law and the law won. Nice work, my friend. Lola, <laughs> can you play The Clash, I Fought the Law? I'm on it. Great. is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.